Section 21 of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter 21 Life's Jog Trot and a Quarrel. Life went on at a jog-trot with me for a long time after the departure for France of the Braithwaites and Miss Sonnet. My mother-in-law missed her daughter Mrs. Braithwaite sorely. I believe if it had not been for her pride in her brilliant daughter and her famous son-in-law, she would have become actually ill with fretting. I found my hands full in devising ways to divert her mind and planning dishes to tempt her delicate appetite. Because of her frailty and consequent inability to do much sightseeing, or, indeed, to go far from the house, Dicky and I spent a very quiet winter. Our evenings away from home together did not average one a week, and Dicky very rarely went anywhere without me. "'What a Darby and Joan we are getting to be!' he remarked one night as we sat one on each side of the library table reading his mother as was her custom had gone to bed early in the evening yes isn't it nice i returned smiling at him ripping dicky agreed enthusiastically then reflectively funniest thing about it is the way i cotton to this domestic stunt if anyone had told me before i met you that I should ever stand for this husband-reading-to-knitting-wife sort of thing, I should have bought him a ticket to Mattiawan pronto. He stopped and frowned heavily at me, in mimic disapproval. Picture all spoiled, he declared, sighing. You are not knitting. Why, oh, why are you not knitting? Because I never shall knit, I returned laughing at least not in the evening while you are reading. That sort of thing never did appeal to me. Either the wife who has to knit or sew or darn in the evening is too inefficient to get all her work done in daylight, or she has too much work to do. In the first case, her husband ought to teach her efficiency. In the second place, he ought to help do the sewing or the darning. Then they could both read. "'Listen to the feminist,' caroled Dicky. Then, with mock severity, "'Of course, I am to infer, madam, that my stockings are all properly darned?' "'Your inference is eminently correct,' demurely. "'Your mother darned them to-day.' What I had told him was true. His mother had seen me looking over the stockings after they were washed, and had insisted on darning Dicky's. I saw that she longed to do some little personal service for her boy, and willingly handed them over. Dicky threw back his head and laughed heartily. Then his face sobered, and he came round to my side of the table and sat down on the arm of my chair. "'Speaking of mother,' he said, rumbling my hair caressingly, "'I want to tell you, sweetheart,' that you have made an awful hit with me the way you've taken care of her. Nobody knows better than I how trying she can be, 
and you've been just as sweet and kind to her as if she were the most tractable person on earth he put his arms around me and bent his face to mine pretty nice and comfy this being married to each other isn't it very nice indeed i agreed nestling closer to him my heart echoed the words in fact it seemed almost too good to be true this quiet domestic cove into which our marital bark had drifted the storms we had weathered seemed far past dicky's jealousy of my brother cousin jack bickett my unhappiness over lillian underwood those tempestuous days surely were years ago instead of months now jack was somewhere in france and i had a queer little premonition that somewhere somehow his path would cross that of miss sonnet the little nurse who had gone with dr braithwaite's expedition and who for years had cherished a romantic ideal of my brother cousin although she had never met him lillian underwood was my sworn friend with characteristic directness she had cut the gordian knot of our misunderstanding by telling me against dicky's protests all about the old secret which her past and that of my husband shared after her story with all that it revealed of her sacrifice and her fidelity to her own high ideals there never again would be a doubt of her in my mind i was proud of her friendship although because of my mother-in-law's prejudice against them dicky and i could not have the underwoods at our home our meetings therefore were few but i had an odd little feeling of safety and security whenever i thought of her i knew if any terrible trouble ever came to me i should fly to her as if she were my sister my work at the lotus study club was going along smoothly at home katie was so much more satisfactory than the maids i had seen in other establishments that i shut my eyes to many little things about which i knew my mother-in-law would have been most captious but my mother-in-law's acerbity was softened by her weakness we grew quite companionable in the winter days when dicky's absence at the studio left us together altogether i felt that life had been very good to me so the winter rolled away and almost before we knew it the spring days came stealing in from the south bringing to me their urgent call of brown earth and sprouting things i was not the only one who listened to the message of spring mother graham grew restless and used all her meagre strength in drives to the parks and walks to a nearby square where the crocuses were just beginning to wave their brave greeting to the city the warmer days affected dicky adversely he seemed a bit distrait displayed a trifle of his earlier irritability and complained a great deal about the warmth of the apartment i tell you i can't stand this any longer he said one particularly warm evening in april as he sank into a chair flinging his collar in one direction and his necktie in another i'd rather be in the city in august than in these first warm days of spring what do you say to moving into the country for the summer 
our month is up here the first anyway and i'm perfectly willing to lose any part of the month's rent if we only can get away but dicky i protested unless we board which i don't think any of us would like to do how are we going to find a house to say nothing of getting settled in so short a time to my surprise dicky hesitated a moment before answering then flushing he uttered the words which brought my little castle of contentment grumbling about me and warned me that my marital problems were not yet all solved why you see there won't be any bother about a house miss draper has found a perfectly bully place not far from her sister's home miss draper has found a house for us i echoed dicky's words in blank astonishment his bit of news was so unexpected amazement was the only feeling that came to me for a moment or two well what's the reason for the awful astonishment demanded dicky truculently you look as if a bomb had exploded in your vicinity he expressed my feeling exactly i knew that miss draper had become a fixture in his studio acting as his secretary as well as his model and pursuing her art studies under his direction but his references to her were always so casual and indifferent that for months i had not thought of her at all and now i found that dicky had progressed to such a degree of intimacy with her that he not only wished to move to the village which she called home but had allowed her to select the house in which we were to live i might be foolish overwrought but all at once i recognized in dicky's beautiful protege a distinct menace to my marital happiness i knew i ought to be most guarded in my reply to my husband but i am afraid the words of my answer were tipped with the venom of my feeling toward the girl i admit i am astonished i replied coldly you see i did not know it was the custom in your circle for an artist's model to select a house for his wife and mother you must give me time to adjust myself to such a bizarre state of things i was so furious myself that i did not realize how much my answer would irritate dicky he sprang to his feet with an oath and turned on me the old black angry look that i had not seen for months that's about the meanest slur i ever heard he shouted just because a girl works as a model every other woman thinks she has the right to cast a stone at her and put on a how dare you brush your skirt against mine sort of thing you worked for a living yourself not so very long ago i should think you would have a little christian charity in your heart for any other girl who worked it strikes me that there is a slight difference between the work of a high school instructor in history a specialist in her subject and the work of an artist's model i returned icily but laying all that aside i should have considered myself guilty of a very grave breach of good taste if i had ventured to select a house for the wife of my principal unasked and unknown to her cut out the heroics and come down to brass tacks dicky snarled vulgarly why don't you be honest and say you're jealous of the poor girl i'll bet if the truth were known it isn't only the house she selected you'd balk at i'll bet you wouldn't want to go to marvin at all for the summer 
regardless that I've spent many a comfortable week in that section, and like it better than any other summer place I know. Through all my anger at Dicky, my disgust at his coarseness, came the conviction that he had spoken the truth. I was jealous of Grace Draper. There was no use denying the fact to myself, however strenuously I might try to hide the thing from Dicky. I told myself that I hated Marvin because it held this girl, that instead of spending the summer there, I wished I might never see the place again. I was angrier than ever when the knowledge of my own emotion forced itself upon me, angry with myself for being so silly, angry with Dicky for having brought such provocation upon me. I let my speech lash out blindly, not caring what I said. You are wrong in one thing, right in another. I am not jealous of Miss Draper. To tell you the truth, I do not care enough about what you do to be jealous of you. But I would not like to live in Marvin for this season. I never counted in my list of friends a woman who possesses neither good breeding nor common sense, and I do not propose to begin with Miss Draper. Dicky stared at me for a moment his face dark and distorted with passion. Then, springing to his feet, he picked up his collar and tie and went into his room. Returning with fresh ones, he snatched his hat and stick and rushed to the door. As he slammed it after him, I heard another oath, one this time coupled with a reference to me. I sank back in the big chair, weak and trembling. "'Well, you have made a mess of it.' My mother-in-law's voice, cool and cynical, sounded behind me. I felt like saying something caustic to her, but there was something in her tones that stopped me. It was not criticism of me she was expressing, rather sympathy. Accustomed as I was to every inflection of her voice, I realized this, and accordingly held my tongue until she had spoken further. I'll admit you had enough to make any woman lose her control of herself, went on Dicky's mother, with the fairness which I had found her invariably to possess in anything big, no matter how petty and fussy she was over trifles. But you ought to know Richard better than to take that way with him. Give Richard his head, and he soon tires of any of the thousand things he proposes doing from time to time. Oppose him, ridicule him, make him angry, and he'll stick to his notion as a dog to a bone. She turned and walked into her room again. I sat miserably huddled in the big chair, by turn angry at my husband, and remorseful over my own hastiness. What I do about dinner, Mrs. Graham? Katie's voice was subdued, sympathetic, and respectful. I realized that she had heard every word of our controversy. The knowledge made my reply curt. Keep it warm as long as you can. I will tell you when to serve it. Katie stalked out, muttering something about the dinner being spoiled, but I paid no heed to her. My thoughts were too busy with the conjectures and forebodings of the future to pay any attention to trifles. The twilight deepened into darkness. 
I was just nerving myself to summon Katie and tell her to serve dinner when the door opened and Dicky's rapid step crossed the room. He switched on the light, and then, coming over to me, lifted me bodily out of my chair. "'Was the poor little girl jealous?' he drawled, with his face pressed close to mine. "'Well, she shall never have to be jealous again. We won't live in Marvin, naughty old town, full of beautiful models. We'll just go over to Hackensack, or some nice respectable place like that.' At first my heart had leaped with victory. Dicky had come back, and he was not angry. Then, as his lips sought mine, and I caught his breath, my victory turned to ashes. The regret or repentance which had driven my husband back to my arms had not come from his heart, but from the depths of a whiskey glass. End of chapter 21